0: Would you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 36? I missed you last week. It's good to be back with you. I hope you were blessed by uh, Dr. Webster. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 36. Returning to Isaiah to catch you up. Uh, boy, we're here. We're, we're now seeing what Isaiah's been prophesying, right? Like for. 36 chapters, Isaiah's been saying, listen, Israel, I've got to get your attention. The people of God have turned from God, and so he's going to use the Assyrian army to come in and judge the people as a wake-up call, and he gives this sort of odd prophecy. He says the judgment, it's not going to wipe you out. It's going to be like the floodwaters have come up to your neck interesting right if the floodwaters are up to your neck you're in big trouble but you can like still breathe you can still live and that's what's going to happen it's the babylonians who are going to finally do them in and carry them off into exile and by the way fast forward if you want to see the overall contours of isaiah we're almost there between isaiah 39 and 40 that's the exile historically, after chapter 39, the Babylonians, sure enough, carry them off into exile. And so from 40 to 66, it's Isaiah's word to the future exiles. But we'll leave that. But the Assyrians get them close, right? The Assyrians, the floodwaters up to their neck. The, and is saying, it's coming, it's coming. And here in chapter 36, it's come. The year is 701 BC, and the enemy is at the gates The enemy is literally at their gates, and they are going to give propaganda, they are going to lie to the people of God, they are going to try to get them to capitulate, to bow down, to not trust in God, but to instead trust themselves to this enemy. Got it? 701 BC, and the enemy is at the gates. Which means, of all the sermons you've ever heard, this one perhaps is going to be the most directly applicable to us. Because it's 2020 A.D., and church, isn't it true, the enemy is at the gates. Amen? Not much has changed. In 701 B.C., there was a literal enemy. But in 2020 A.D., Christians, you're being attacked on all sides. Isn't it true? The ancient theologian said every Christian has three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The enemy is after you and he's tempting you and all of his temptations are to get you to sin. Why? Because sin's such a big deal. What's the deal with that? Every sin, he's trying to tempt you. You ready? Your enemy is at the gates. In 2020 AD or 701 BC, it's the same thing. You're gonna see, look for all the lies of the tempter when you're facing temptation. Every sin is this temptation to believe the lie that you can't trust God. I'll unpack this later, but you need to know that. At every sin, you trace it back. It traces back to believing the lie that God cannot be trusted. You'd be better off with the shortcut. You'd be better off following the temptation. You'd be better off. So look look for the lies of the enemy. We're gonna see this enemy, and he's gonna give this big speech to the people of God. I'm, you're gonna hear the same lies when the enemy tempts you to sin. All right, let's get to it. Isaiah 36, one. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah. Who's Hezekiah? Well, actually a pretty good king. His daddy was Ahaz. We met him in the first part of Isaiah. Not a good king. And Hezekiah started to make some reforms. He started to get the people back on track with obeying God. One of the things he did, which is important to point out, you're going need to need to know this later, is he tore down the high places. What's that? Uh, the pagan nations would worship their gods and goddesses on high places, which just meant mountains, hills, ridges. They figured this is a higher place, and so heaven meets earth here, so we'll put up a a shrine to our God or goddess. Well, the people of God saw that and were like, honestly, that's pretty convenient. It takes a lot of time and money to travel all the way to Jerusalem where God says we're supposed to worship, so why not just make like our own little temple here on this high place? Well, that'd be fine, except for the fact God told them don't do that. And so Ahaz said, yeah, that's fine. Well, Hezekiah tore down those high places. Now, they were high places devoted to Yahweh, so that's good. But that's not the point. God didn't say you could do that. So Hezekiah started tearing them down. Good, good. And he he started to kind of stand up and push back to the king of Assyria. Okay, good. Well, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah. And how did he do? He took them. Do you guys remember Sennacherib from your world civ class in high school? You remember, if, if not, you remember these mighty kings of Assyria? Assyria was the bad boy on the ancient Near East block. They're up here in the, uh, I can't, I, I, I never really could do east, west, left, right, but I certainly can't do it in reverse from your perspective. So I'm just going to turn around and pretend there's a map of the ancient Near East. They're here. <laughs> The Assyrians are up in the Fertile Crescent in, what would that be, northwest, right? They're up here, and they're wanting to sweep down to take the crown jewel that all these ancient empires were after. What were they all after? What do they want? They wanted down here in the southwest, they wanted Egypt. All the power and the wealth and the knowledge and the Nile River and the sea and everything. So they're after Egypt. So they're up here in the northwest, northeast. They're coming down to the southwest to get Egypt. Massive Assyrian army. They have wanted Egypt. They've had their, they've been licking their chops for years. What's the problem? The problem is between here and there, there's all these podunk, one-stop-light nations like Judah and Philistia, and Moab. They are no threat to Assyria. They are no match militarily. They've got nothing we want. They've got no resources. The problem is we got to do something with them. We can't just march down to Egypt and leave them in our rear between us and our home base because then Judah could rise up and cause problems, cut supply lines. You know how it is, right? So we got to, we got to get them in line. We got to get them to submit. So that's what they've done. They, they, they're on this war path, and, 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 and the people of Judah had 48 fortified cities, walled strongholds, 48. So far, Sennacherib has taken 46 of the 48. Two remain. One is at Lachish, which is in the, uh, it's that way. and uh, for, I mean, if Assyria is here, Lachish is that way. It's kind of on the way to Egypt. And the other is Jerusalem. King, ha- that, that's it. So, verse 2, so they're in, they're in Lachish, and the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, sent the Rabshakeh. It's a great name. This is who we're going to interact with today. The Rabshakeh. Who on earth is that? That's uh, the king of Assyria's third in command. It's his field commander. You got the mighty king of Assyria. You got his general in charge of everything. And then you got this field commander, this powerful third in command, Rabshakeh. Now, he comes from Lachish. Remember, that, that's where they're down there trying to, to get them to capitulate. He says, go up to King Hezekiah. Sends him to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And what's going on here? What's going on here is the king of Assyria is trying to save some cash. It's a foregone conclusion that they can wipe out all these nations in Judah. The problem is, it just costs so much money. The way he really wants to, to take these cities without any loss of his own army is what they called siege warfare. In other words, they wouldn't attack this. If somebody's got a big walled fortified city, no problem, just don't mess with the walls. Just surround them. Cut off all their supply lines and it, it, you stay there long enough and the people inside that city, they can't, uh, they can't eat, they can't drink and eventually uh, you just starve them out and that's how you get them. The problem is, this is a big army and Sennacherib's got to pay these soldiers and that could take a year, year and a half. If we could just fast forward through that. If we could just tell the people of Judah, this is what's coming. You're all going to die. Please, can you just surrender now? We all see it. The writing's on the wall. So, he sends the Rabshakeh to basically go give that message. You're going down. We can do this the way where you guys all die slow, torturous, painful deaths. Or you can come with us now. Wouldn't it be wiser? Right? I mean, that's it. He's going up with that message. He meets him in an interesting place. And he stood so, so the rapture goes up there and he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field you guys may not remember the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field but isn't that, by the way isn't that, such a, isn't that like such a small town way to give directions for where something is it's on 6th street and 3rd avenue huh well you know by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field why didn't you say so some of so those grandpa lives there anyway the uh uh uh, uh the, you've seen this before though it's uh it's the exact place where in Isaiah seventh chapter third verse King ah- Hezekiah's daddy is Ahaz, and it's at that exact point where Ahaz is confronted by the prophet and says don't trust in Assyria trust in God what's it going to be Ahaz, and God has now brought us back to that exact same point of decision at the exact same place pretty cool. What's it going to be, Hezekiah? Are you going to be like your dad and fail to trust God? or you, what, What's Hezekiah going to do? Is he going to trust God? Well, they send out a delegation of good guys to go out and talk to the Rabshaka and hear what he has to say. So they kind of exit the walled city, go out a few yards maybe, and, and there uh, came to him, verse three, came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, because, you know, you got to have somebody take minutes. Uh, Shebna, this is so nitpicky, but I couldn't help it. Does anybody remember Shebna? He was, yes, yes, he was over the household. He was the prime minister. He's the one who made himself proud, and God said he could take him like a, remember the one he was gonna take like a ball and throw him into left field? His demotion has already started. He was in Eliakim's place. Now Eliakim's in his place, and he's now the secretary, and it's gonna continue to fall. Anyway, this this Rapshika speech is incredible. The theme is obvious. He uses the word trust. He uses, whom, who are you going to trust? And that church, I'm telling you, is a word for us today. It's no different. Just as Rapshika was trying to get the people of God to trust him instead of God, to trust sinful ways, so too in 2020 AD. Your enemy, he's lying to you. He's trying to get you to trust his ways instead of God. Who are you going to trust? Verse 4. And the Rapshaka said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria. By the way, already that shot's fired. He calls his king king. Your king doesn't even get called king. Isn't that great? He doesn't call him king, Hezekiah. He just says, No, no, no. Our king's the great king. you just Hez. You got nothing. You tell him, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you've rebelled against me? He goes, right for the foundations. What are you, what are you trusting in, just words? Guys, that's just like your enemy, the devil, today. He wants to shake your faith. And you know what he's going to say? What have you got? This is the real word. Do you, do you, you are you really going to trust just words? Come on what's your faith really built on? Just because somebody told you that Jesus is risen from the dead? Pfft, words. That's not going to work in the real world. Faced with life or death. What, what? You're going to stand on the gospel of Christ? Oh, look, this, this book just work, You hear that? He thinks mere words aren't powerful. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. But same thing our enemy does. I'll tell you the first thing he knows you can't trust. You can't trust Egypt. This guy had done his homework. I give him credit, the Rabshakeh. He knew that the kings of Israel always tended to look to Egypt for help because, and it makes sense, Egypt hates Assyria just as much as they hate Assyria. And so he points out, behold, verse six, you're trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. And he's really true. He's like, You're gonna to go to Egypt, that's like a mouse asking for defense against a cat from another cat. An even bigger, meaner cat. Like Egypt's gonna do the same thing to you that we're doing, you try to lean on Egypt, they're gonna stab you. But if you say to me, okay, so you can't trust Egypt, and you can't trust God, and this is, this is where I told you that historical data would help you. You can't trust God, why? Your God's mad at you. You tore down his high places. Look at verse 7. If you say to me, oh, we trust in the Lord our God. It, it's not he whose high place is an altar. Hezekiah is removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar. Now, I, listen, the foreign intelligence office of the Assyrian army is Impressive. I don't know what kind of CIA setup they had in Assyria, but they know Israel. This guy had done his homework and he had heard that that, that Hezekiah pulled down the high places of Yahweh. And he didn't understand all that. He didn't need to. He just knows if you did that in Assyria and you pulled down the Assyrian gods temples and stuff, he'd be furious at you. I bet Yahweh's the same way. So don't go looking to Yahweh for help. He's mad at you. You pulled down his high places. Of course, he didn't know the Anyway, he didn't know he was, they were supposed to, but that's you got to give him credit. He'd done his homework. Can't trust in Egypt, they're a broken reed. Can't trust your God, he's mad at you. And now in verse 8, verse 8, in athletics, verse 8, we call this, now, now this is just trash talk. You guys familiar with Trash talk. I won't ask for a show of hands. I know we have a lot of athletes in here, yeah. This is just trash talk. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able to put riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my father's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? This is like when you're about to play basketball against somebody and you're so arrogant and cocky, you say, hey, it's one-on-one. Game is to 11 and I will spot you 10. This is like, I will spot you 2,000 horses. What's the problem? You don't even have enough riders for that. I'll give you the horses and then I'll still whoop you. The application here, of course, is the arrogance of your enemy. Satan will come at you and say, you don't have a chance. The application is not, ooh, that's pretty good trash talk. I'm gonna use that at my next game. That's the opposite, okay? Not the takeaway. And finally, and let me tell you, you talk about homework. You talk about homework. This to me is the most subtle and the most impressive. Finally, verse 10. Moreover, I'll give you one last reason why you guys should just submit. Moreover, is it without the Lord that I've come up against this land and destroy it? It's the Lord that said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now that, 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 y'all, that. Somebody in the CIA system of Assyria got word that there was this crazy prophet running around God's people named Isaiah and he was telling people something y'all not going to believe. And when this hit the new when this hit the foreign intelligence office of Assyria, I bet they were like, "You got to be kidding me." Apparently, there's this prophet who's going around telling people God himself is the one who's going to use Assyria for judgment. And at this point, they're like, "That makes no sense to us, but if it works, it works." Let's use it. Let's, hey, let's use it as propaganda. Why? This is terrorism. This is psychological warfare. They're saying, your God's mad at you. After all, it's your God who brought us here. Now, we do not have time to spell out every single application. But are you already, to, are you already beginning to see the lies of the enemy always follow a similar pattern? The thing is, that's kind of true. But it's been twisted. That's how Satan lies. He takes a scripture that's kind of true, but he's twisted it, hadn't he? And instead of God's people going to the scriptures and receiving comfort, Satan takes some sort of truth, but he twists it. And that's what makes it such a good lie, such a subtle lie. He twists it and you justify it. And eventually God's word, instead of being a source of comfort, is now a source of great terror. And that's the, the enemy will do the same thing to you. He'll do the same thing to you. Every temptation is to, from the enemy is to get you to stop trusting in God. You, that's never going to work. Instead, trust in this sin. Trust in this shortcut. Besides, and they, I mean, Satan did it in the, in the temptation to uh, uh, Jesus, right? He quoted scripture, but he did what? He twisted it every time. Well, at this point, they're getting an audience, the people on the wall are hearing all this and they're seeing this massive army with the Robshika, and they're starting to all come to the wall and they're all starting to listen in. And the, the uh, uh, Eliakim and Shebna and Joah look around and they're like, uh-oh. Like, if our people hear this, they're gonna lose heart. And so they say, you know what? Um, can we continue this conversation in Aramaic? Aramaic was the lingua franca. It was the language of diplomacy and business. Educated people spoke it, but the common people wouldn't be able to know what they were saying. And they realized like, um, let's, let's switch this up. Look at verse 11, uh, 12. Uh, sorry, 11. My bad. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Ravshakeh, um, uh, please speak to your servants in Aramaic. We understand it. Do, do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of all these people who are on the wall. What do you think the Ravshakeh said to that? oh no 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 i took hebrew for this oh no that's exactly why i came i want everybody to hear it he says in hebrew put this on blast he, he doesn't it's not in Hebrew. he says i want everybody to hear why because these people need to know what's coming and if we lay siege to your city the pain and torture and agony that they're about to face is going to be unspeakably graphic. So I want everybody to hear. In fact, everyone, please listen. But the Rabshakeh said, verse 12, oh, 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 I'm sorry, has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Graphic terms here. We cannot, listen, we cannot as moderns get our heads around the, the sheer terror of siege warfare. Your city might have had 25 or 30,000 people in a walled city, okay? But don't forget, that's not all your residents. You've also got 50 or 70,000 out there in the fields, the agriculture, um, uh, uh, shepherds, Minecraft, whatever they're, do- whatever they're doing out there, and they got a what? When the bad guys come, where do you think they go for safety? They go into the walled city. You can't take take care of your 30,000 people as soon as they cut off your food and water supply. The agonizing, slow death of you and your family watching your whole city starve. You can't take care of 30,000. How are you now gonna take care of double or triple that that's now inside? The conditions were unspeakable. I keep saying we don't have time to spell out every application, and I keep spelling out every application. But isn't that how the enemy works when he lies to you? Doesn't he give you a vision of the absolute worst possible scenario that's gonna happen? Doesn't he? When he works on your anxiety, when he works on your fear, he doesn't say, look, here's like a few good things that could happen, a few not so good things that happen. No, 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 he does stuff like this. He says, this is gonna be your future and he puts in you terror and fear because you'll make all sorts of foolish decisions when they're from fear. He operates on fear. Lies and fear are like these evil twins that. Come together. And he's plaguing some of you. Every night, this is what he's doing. He's putting these visions of, this is this terrible outcome that's coming. And so the way out is is take some quick solution. You know what? Verse 13. Now that he has everybody's attention, and I'm sure with talk like that, he had everybody's attention. Then the rapture stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. Everybody can hear this. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, oh, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. So what are we supposed to do? They're gonna wipe us out. Now I'm scared. Now I've got this graphic image of the worst thing's gonna happen. And it does sound like the enemy's tempting me using like scripture. I mean, didn't Isaiah say God sent him? Oh, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Rabshakeh says, glad you brought that up. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat his own vine and each one of his own fig tree and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away. I I will take you away to a land, but don't worry. It's much like your land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Y'all, one question. Would any of you buy a used car from this man? <laughs> like, can you not, can you not, cl- these are the people who have left scorched earth, who have st- impaled people, tortured them, left them behind, and have just threatened them that they're going to put them unspe- under unspeakably torturous conditions. But come with me, it'll be, be good. It'll be fine. In fact, honestly, it would probably be an upgrade. Anybody from the outside looking in goes... No! They're gonna literally carry you off with a hook, according to Scripture, with a, like a hook in your mouth, like a bitten bridle. They're gonna carry you off and you're gonna go be their slaves. Your life is gonna get worse, not better. Who would do that? Who would believe the lies of the enemy when the enemy says, actually, if you do this temptation and you don't trust the Lord, this will actually be better? This will get you out of your problem. Who would be so foolish as to do that? I have. And so have you, haven't you? When we sin, we're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. We're looking for a shortcut that we're trusting in more than we're trusting in God. And that's where every sin comes from. Look look at these verses, and I'll unpack this. Beware, verse 18, Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Have any of the other gods of the nations delivered his hand out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Hmm? Where are the gods of Harmath and Arpad? Here he's saying, look at the scoreboard, huh? Where are the gods of Severvim? Have Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their hands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? You see what he's saying? What makes you think Yahweh is any different? What makes you think this God is special? Look, all these other places had gods. Now, he didn't know. Here he drops the facade, right? And that's, that's how the enemy's lies are. They're not logical. They don't make sense. In fact, even this guy's lies don't make sense. One, on the one hand, he threatens them, your God's mad at you. On the other hand, he says, uh, uh, God sent him. On the other hand, he says, God sent him. On the other hand, he says, uh, uh, your God can't deliver us. So, the enemy's lies are never logical. They can't be. They're not based on truth. But at this point, he comes right out, drops the facade, and he says, here's the deal. You always no different. Now, what the What the Rabshakeh was about to learn in no uncertain terms is what the Christian church has professed for countless generations. And that's that when it comes to the question of is God different from these other gods, it is unequivocally yes. These other gods were gods made by human hands. They were made of wood and bronze and gold. And though they had had eyes, they couldn't see. Though they had ears, they couldn't hear their people's cries for help. And though they had hands, they couldn't act. Yahweh is different. He's not one among the pantheon of gods. He's the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so though he has no physical eyes, oh, he can see. And though he has no physical ears, he can hear the cries of his people's prayers. And though he may not have physical hands, unlike all these other man-made gods, he can act in a way these other gods cannot every, listen to me, every temptation is just this, the enemy's trying to get you to believe this lie that the sin can protect you better than God. I think a few illustrations might suffice. Why would anyone steal? Stealing's a sin, why would anyone steal? You can trace every sin back to a lack of trust in the goodness of God. I, uh, I know God says he's my good shepherd and I know he says he'll provide for me but I don't know if I can trust him, so I have to take this in an illicit way. Why? Because I don't know if I can trust that he's my good shepherd. See that? Why would anyone lie? I know that God says I should be concerned about what he thinks of me. And I know that, that at the end of the day, it's all about what he thinks. But, but what these other people will think less of me unless I, I, I'm going to tell this lie. Children in the room, listen to me. This absolutely applies to you. When you're tempted to lie, you've got to ask yourself, can God protect me or am I going to trust the lie? Kids, listen to me. When you lie, what you're saying is, a lie will get me out of trouble. If I tell the truth, I might get punished by my parents. I might get, so I'm I'm going to tell the lie. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God says tell the truth. And when you tell the truth, kid, when you tell the truth, you know what you're doing? You're putting your trust in God rather than in the lie. It's that simple. I know it's tough to tell the truth, but you're trusting in God. Now, grown-ups in the room, I'd like to talk to you. When you're tempted to tell a lie, put your trust in God and tell the hard truth rather than what you're doing is trusting a lie because you might get away with it. See, you don't outgrow this. Why would someone lust? God says he can provide all the appetites in a proper way, but, but I don't know if I believe that, God. I don't know if I can trust you, so I'm gonna take this in an illicit way Why would we take revenge? God says he will judge. But I don't know if I can trust you to judge properly. So I'm going to hold a grudge and I'm going to carry out revenge. Why? Because I don't know if I can trust you. Over and over it goes. And besides, the lie looks pretty good. Didn't Rabshakeh say, if we just make peace with the Assyrians and we go off to Assyria, it's going to be like, it's going to be like an Assyrian golden corral. Every day we're going to have all this delicious, there's a chocolate fountain and all this wonderful stuff. Isn't that what he promised? I mean, isn't that what he promised? Listen, listen. You, you eat this fruit, Oh. Mm, you'll have knowledge. You'll be like God, mm, knowing Adam, get some of this. Mm, mm, that's good, Eve. You'll, you'll what? You'll know good from evil. You'll be like God. God's holding out on you. You can't trust him. It's better this way. That was this temptation to Jesus. Throw yourself off the temple. I just don't know if you can trust him. Let's, let's make sure. Jesus, Satan said, throw yourself off the temple, and that way, after all, didn't the scripture say he'll guard you? So, what is the response? Well, verse 21 they were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, Do not answer him. That, that, that may be worth writing down. Uh, when the enemy is tempting you and you feel so tempted, sometimes silence is golden. Don't even answer Satan, let your king answer him. I said, We're going to let the king deal with you, we, we, we're doing what the king says. That's pretty good. Okay, so what's the king going to do? Let's see, it. Let's see it, Hezekiah. The ball is entirely in your court. And let me tell you something. I know we pick on the ancient kings of Israel and we talk about, but we can't paint with a broad brush. They were, they were, they were just like us. Hezekiah had a massive, massive, massive failure. It's actually in the next chapters, but it's a flashback, so it happened earlier. Uh, and so I know, but it's too, it's too broad a brush to say all the kings were good or all the kings were bad or, or a king was all good or all bad. But boy, I just gotta say, on a scale of zero to 10, Hezekiah got a 10 on this one. I mean, he just got it right. When the enemy's at the gates and all this temptation and his people are gonna crumble, 37.1, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, he covered himself with sackcloth, went into the house of the Lord. You see what he did? And then he goes and gets Isaiah and gets a word from God. You see what he did? When faced with all this temptation. If you're looking for immediate, direct application, if the enemy is at your gates today, do what Hezekiah did. Humble yourself. Go to the house of the Lord and get in his word. I'll say it again. He humbled himself. He went to the house of the Lord. And listen, the house of the Lord's not brick and stone. You know that. The house of the Lord's gathering with God's people in that precious community, that faithful. That's why some of you, you you're, you've been so committed to Sunday school. And I, oh, you, yes, that's it. Keep that up. Because why? Everything's being disrupted, but you're going back again and again to meet with God's people on those Zoom calls or those socially distant, you know, fellowships. I, I, I know it's tough, but it's so important. You're staying together with God's people. That's Hezekiah's response. And you're in his word. You're not going to be able to combat the lies of the enemy with more lies. You're not going to be, you're not out clever, you're not going to out clever Satan. Satan's had like thousands of years to watch human nature. He's studied it carefully. He's done his homework, just like Rabshakeh. No, you're, the only, the way to combat the lies of the enemy is with the truth of God's word. And he does something even better. Okay, skip down to verse 14. Skip down to verse 14. Chapter 37, 14. I love this. The, the king realizes his first effort didn't work by sending Ravshika. Ravshika had to go home. It's all foreordained by God. You can you see that. Like He put it on his heart to go. So the king finally, second try, sends him a letter. Sends him a letter. And the letter basically says exactly what you think it would say. No one else has, no one else has, has stopped me. Your God is nothing to me. I'm greater than your God. So you need to just bow to me or this is about to get really ugly. He sends that to a letter to Hezekiah. I love this. Look at verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of his messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord. It's my favorite part. And he did what? Spread it before the Lord. Lays out that letter as if to say, This is yours to answer, I believe. Because Hezekiah was starting to get it. The enemy, his ultimate enemy, is not an enemy. This, this enemy's not after, not after me. He's after the living God. And you're going to get that. And That's going to put encouragement in you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. My enemy is not after me. My, this is between my enemy and, and God. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. And so Hezekiah, look at this humble prayer. Look at this prayer. He's saying, God, this is yours to answer. And verse 15, Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, and you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord. He's saying, look. They're not wrong, God. They're not wrong. The kings of Assyria have laid waste to all the nations in their lands. And they have cast gods into the fire. But they were no gods. The work of men's hand, wood and stone, therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand. I love this. Why? Why? Oh, Hezekiah gets it. Why? Because we've been such good people? No. Because we deserve it? No. Because we've been so faithful to you? No. Save us. Why? That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. It's not about me, God. It's about you. My job is to be faithful to my post, faithful to you through all these storms. Why? Cuz it's your glory and when you're glorified, I'm satisfied. When you're glorified, when you're glorified, it's for my good. I get it. It's not about me, it's about you. And I think when God hears this prayer, he goes, "Yes. Yes. Somebody gets it." God goes, yeah, yes, that. Humility, turning to me, trusting in me. Whether it's a little kid going, I'm going to tell a really hard truth and get in big trouble because I know that's better than the lie that would get me out. When God sees that, he goes, yes. When a grown-up says, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm really confused and I'm, I'm really caught in this addiction and, and this is an escape for me. This substance or this habit has become an escape for me. But I'm going to trust, I'll trust you, Lord, day by day, one day at a time, I'll trust you. God goes, yes, yes. When this grown-up refuses to take revenge and carry out, because he says, I'm going I'm to leave this in your hands, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not answer this, and I'm just going to leave my whole reputation in your hands. God goes, yes. And, and, and listen, the battle... Because humans understand this principle that's all throughout Isaiah, it's all throughout the Old Testament. The battle is not ours. The battle ultimately is the Lord's. And when the Lord reads that letter, not that the Lord had to read the letter, he already knew. Let me tell you, if you wanna know the end of the story, when the Lord reads Sennacherib's letter, where Sennacherib basically says, I've mowed everybody down and the God of Israel is gonna be like every other God, it's on. When When Yahweh sees that letter, it's like when Liam Neeson, you know, in the movie, it's about to go down, you know. When God gets that letter, says, oh, oh, really? Oh, really? You can read, and I hope you do. I hope you go back. There's so much left in these chapters we didn't have time to get to. I hope you go back and read 36, 7, 37, but I can show you what happens. At the, if you want to see the conclusion, go to verse 36. We'll conclude. Armies, enemies at the gate. Verse 36. Here's what happened this prayer, God moves. Verse 36. And the angel of the Lord, uh, the angel of the Lord, not many angels, not some angels, not two angels, angels—a angel. Please keep this in mind next Good Friday when you think about Jesus saying that he could call down 12 legions of these. This is what one did. And the angel of the Lord went out with minimal effort, in my opinion struck down a hundred and eighty five thousand in the camp of the Assyrians and when the people arose early in the morning behold these were all the dead bodies that's it I love that this huge narrative builds and builds and builds and the most dramatic part is like what happens you get one verse I love that I love that because the great drama in this story was never about whether or not God would win his battles that was over before it started 185,000 dead done one angel Angel's back before breakfast. Anything else you need? a battle, the, 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 the drama in the story was not whether God won his battle. The drama is what it always is. The drama was between Hezekiah and God. Who would Hezekiah trust? The drama in your life is not whether God's gonna win all his battles. The drama is who are you gonna trust? Who are you gonna trust when it's so hard? You know the right thing, but to do it's gonna be so tough. Who are you gonna trust? The Assyrians, the Egyptians, your own strength, whatever or the God of proven strength. Hmm? Will you trust him? I hope this puts fresh courage in you, fresh encouragement. He can be trusted. He's the God of proven strength. Let's pray. Oh God, grant to us a fresh trusting in you as a people, as individuals. God, I pray for the littlest kid in the room to the oldest grown up in the room. God, we do not outgrow this need to trust you, oh God. God, for those that are here that maybe have never, they're listening online or, they've, or they, 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 maybe they're, they're not here physically but they're hearing every word of this or they're right here in the room. Maybe if they've never trusted you for the first time that today would be the day of their salvation. They would transfer their trust to you not just with lip service but their life and their heart. Trust in you instead of the shortcut of sin but for my believers in the room God put fresh courage in us to continue to not lose heart but to continue to trust in you and to take the hard step of obedience when it's hard because we trust in you more than we trust that shortcut thank you for this day that Hezekiah got it right thank you for what you put in his life and that grace you put in him to get that right put it in us God put it in us we ask this in the matchless name of the God of proven strength Amen I'm so glad that you are here today. I missed you last week. I'm so looking forward to next week, 8 a.m., 9.30, 10.45. You've got three different uh, choices there, and uh, look forward to um, uh, one of those being a great option for you and your family, and, and, I, and I look forward to, I'll, I'll be there, God willing, for all three. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week. Uh, Pastor BJ is going to have our benediction and our instructions for our offering. Thanks so much, Pastor Tom. Great to have you back with us. Uh, Enjoy being together today. If you join us online, thank you so much for worshiping with us. Would you stand uh, to your feet all across the room? Uh, After our benediction, you're going to notice these exits to my right, your left. are going to be the ones we utilize uh, to leave the service, uh, waiting on the next one to come in. There are a couple offering boxes on the table that are made available to you. I know many of us give online uh, through Secure Give, but those are there for you uh, as well. Our benediction today is going to be number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen.